ever read a story that just kind of like evokes so much emotion out of you? You find yourself like, oh, why am I crying? You know, and you're so into it. I do know this. This past week in your devotions, you read the story of the book of Ruth. And it's like this Cinderella-type love story, isn't it? It goes from tragedy into this beautiful love story in the end, and it's like, oh, it's just it may, you just feel it all over, and it feels so good in the end, right? You're reading it like, oh, so good. Like I do think, and Erica and I have talked about this, what a good movie Ruth would be. Like If they did that in a trilogy, I think it'd be amazing. But here's the thing. We're going to key in on the book of Ruth today, but we're going we're gonna to key in on a different character in it. We're not going to talk as much about Ruth, though she's the namesake of the book. We're going to talk about Naomi. And Naomi's story tells us, well, it tells us a truth that psychology and, um, and many doctors have confirmed. And it's this, that there are two universal human emotions, meaning this, all seven billion plus people on the planet right now have or will experience one of two universal emotions. Shame, it's one of them, and the other that we will dial in on today, loss. Loss, the feeling of loss the experience of loss, that is a, a universal human, human emotion, human experience. And loss is, well, it has many forms to it. Loss has the forms of maybe you lost a job and maybe you had worked all your life since you were like 12 years old and you got to retirement and you retired and everything ended well, but you find yourself suffering a loss of identity. It's what you did. It's who you were. And now even in this long dreamed of retirement, you're miserable. Maybe you were fired. I always was told you should get fired at least once in life and know what it's like. And I want to say, that was rough, man. It's not nice to be fired. It is, it is brutal when you get fired and you feel the sense of loss. Maybe your loss has been um, your, your health. Maybe you've gotten older and your once young, physically fit, active body has begun breaking down and it hurts to get out of bed in the morning and you make a noise picking something up off the ground. You're like, ah, oh man. And you realize like, oh, my joints are getting old. Maybe your vision has faded. Your hearing isn't as good. And you're losing privileges in life quicker than you're gaining them. You find yourself losing your health. Maybe you had a diagnosis at a young age that took away your youth and your vim and vigor and you find yourself, well, broken and wrecked physically and you lost your health. Maybe you've lost a relationship. Maybe your parents and you are in a fight about something and you haven't spoken in years or a sibling or a relative or an old friend who was once close and dear and that relationship is fractured and you lost that intimacy and that connection or maybe you were once married and now you're divorced and the scars of that remain and you experience loss. Maybe you've lost a sense of stability. If I had told you before you made your New Year's resolution this year that we would face a pandemic and that we would go through a six to seven month shutdown of everything, I bet your New Year's resolution would have been different. 
And I bet you would have wanted to find a way to preserve stability, but we lost stability. This world feels like it's heaving and rolling like the oceans on the wave. It feels kind of all over the place. We've lost stability in so many ways. And we experience that and we feel that. I know one of the losses in this world that is universal is death. When we lose a loved one, I know that the loss of Joshua DeYoung, my brother-in-law, um, it, it is just felt. It's felt. It is a pain. It is a loss we feel. It's why we have a son named Joshua. It's loss. I know for some of us, uh, losing something that you always relied on or counted on is like toothache pain. For me personally, that was the loss of my parents' marriage. When my mom and my dad divorced, I was a grown man with children and a life, and I was working in ministry. It wrecked me. It is a loss I deal with to this day. It is a painful reality, and there's no way around it. It's the experience of losing something that was once so solid and dependable, and now it just evaporates like the fog when the sun burns through it. We'll talk today about loss, but what I wanna do is talk about the stages of grief. We all go through stages of grief, and we're gonna put the lens of Naomi up and look at grief through her life, but the stages of grief are very interesting. Doctors and psychologists have identified five to seven stages of grief that we go through, and um, not all people experience all of these, but here's what we do know. They certainly, um, they certainly experience some of them, maybe not all, not in the same order, not at the same rate, and they don't go through every stage at the same duration. It's like, well, you're in week two of you know, anger, and you'll be moving on. No, there's really no way to know the duration of each stage of grief, but these stages have been proven to be experienced by most people, not all, but by most people who've walked through loss. They're a real thing. As usual, science and psychology has yet to um, surprise God. God was not like, oh, there's, there's stages to grief. God wasn't surprised by this. It doesn't discover, God's not, you know, discovering with science, Right? So, so science didn't surprise him. In the Bible, and in the book we'll look at today, we see a roadmap, not only through the stages of grief, but we find a roadmap to healing. We find a roadmap to healing. So I'm gonna invite you, and I'm gonna ask you to see if in Naomi's story, you see part of yourself. Ruth, chapter one, verses one through five. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went over to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Melon and Kilian. They were, um, I'm going to mess this up, they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, in Judah, and they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died, and she was left with her two sons. They married, so her two sons, Melon and Kilian, married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. 
After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian died. They also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. This is where we find ourselves in the first stage of grief. We look at Naomi and we're going to see her go through a period of complete denial. She's, she's going to deny what's going on and she's going to fixate on something and that's what denial is. It really is a distraction. It's, you know, it's ignoring the elephant in the room. It's, it's fixating on something and that is what we see Naomi do. She fixates on something that will maybe, um, well, let's just read what she does. I want you to think with me. I want you to try, and I, not because it's morbid, but imagine you've lost your husband. You've lost your two sons. And you're broken and you're wrecked with grief and with sorrow. And it says this. Ruth chapter one, verse six and seven. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, oh, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. She, she moves. She, she just totally distracts herself She's like, oh, oh, there's food again in Bethlehem? Well, let's go back there. Let's just go back there. And she starts attending to what's going on there. She fixates on something else, something else and sort of looks to reconcile the issue that drove their family down into the country of Moab in the first place. She's going to fix that move. She's going to go back to Bethlehem. That, that's what I'm going to do. And she's distracted from the thing that's really going on, the thing that has redefined her life and ruined her emotionally, probably physically, and even spiritually in many ways. She probably just feels like a shell of a person. She fixates on that. And we find ourselves moving, seeing her move into the second stage of grief in this. And it's bargaining, where we bargain with God. And it can be seen in a couple of ways. One of the ways you can see this is people will say, God, if you will restore to me what was lost, then, then I will go and I will be a missionary for the rest of my life. God, I will, I will give to the church. God, if you restore what was lost to me, I promise, like say you lost your job, I promise I will tithe forever. Right? Well, you see people do that. We do those things when we experience loss. We begin to bargain with things like that. Another form that it may take is where we begin to go back through and we say, oh, if I had only not done that, that one thing, if I had left five minutes later, then maybe I could have rewritten the story. If I had only done it differently, if I hadn't left at that time, if I hadn't allowed that sin in my life, we bargain with God in the way we process loss at times. We find ourselves doing this because it's very natural. I know I have done this in my own personal life where I've struggled with loss and I've bargained with God. And the thing I've learned is God's really not interested in my bargains. He's not interested, not because he doesn't love me, but because there's a different, God's moving us through something. And we find ourselves stepping into Ruth, 
chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, and we'll see how Ruth begins to bargain with God. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown me kindness and shown kindness to your dead husbands. So we see this, and it's this sad, like, heartache-filled moment. She says, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. This is going to seem cold, what I'm about to say, but it needs to be said because when we, when we see what Naomi and her husband did, maybe we'll understand why she's bargaining. This is what they did. Naomi and her husband, well, they had not stayed in Israel when God punished the people of Israel for their evil. The people of Israel turned in the time of Judges, multiple times they turned from God, and God punished them. And they were oppressed by the Philistines and the Hittites and the different people, right? When God punished them, Elimelech and Naomi left. They left a time of punishment and went down to Moab. Moreover, once they were there, their sons married Moabite women, which was strictly forbidden in the law of God. God told Moses and he told the people, do not marry women who are foreigners. Do not marry foreign wives. They had married Moabite women. And she knew this. She knew that they had left in a time of God's discipline and they were living in um, what would be understood as outside of the covenant. And Naomi may have, we don't know this, but she may have been thinking, if I had never moved here, my husband wouldn't have died. If we had just gone through the hungry, hungry times and the painful times in Bethlehem, oh, Elimelech wouldn't have died. If my sons hadn't married Moabite women, Maybe they wouldn't have died. She wanted to rewrite the past. She wanted to take the script and, you know, start shooting her life over again. She didn't like where it was. And she's trying to right some of the wrongs that give her a bargaining chip with God. And this, if you've gone through this phase, you know it's hollow and it doesn't work, and we find Naomi stepping into a different phase of grief, a different section of the process of grief, and that's anger. She gets really angry. Now, anger, it needs to be understood. Anger can come out at anyone, anything, an inanimate object. It can come out at something that may be caused Uh, Maybe she was angry at the famine, right, that drove them into Moab. It can be at God. It can be at a person. Anger doesn't have to make sense. It's highly emotional and highly charged. But Ruth gets into a place where there's a lot of anger. And we can see it in her words to Orpah, or not Ruth, Naomi gets into a place where there's a lot of anger, and we can see it in her words to Orpah and Ruth, the daughters-in-law of her dead sons. Naomi said to them, and we always hear this with tenderness, but I want you to hear it with some anger. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. 
And even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and, had, and I gave birth to sons, would you wait until they were grown up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Do you see what she does? She lashes out. She lashes out at these young ladies. Her anger turns against them. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to Naomi. And she, and she, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, her gods. Go with her. I don't think there was a ton of love and affection. I think she was angry. I think she was heartbroken. And she is shoving Ruth away. And Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will, will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separate you from me. Like, man, that's a special kind of love. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. When she, when she realized there was no hope of changing it, she stopped urging her. And here's the thing I want to say in this. Naomi blames herself, right? She blames God. She's kind of mad at the daughter's she sounds off and yells at them like, what do you want me to do, give you more sons? Right, she's, she's angry. And she sounds off at this. She's trying to isolate herself. She's pushing everything to the margins. And here's what I would like to say to us as a church, as individuals, since loss is a, is a universal human emotion and experience, can I ask you, can I invite you to have the patience and kindness of Ruth if you ever encounter someone who is at the stage of anger in their grief, can you be gracious to them the way Ruth was? Ruth didn't go like, how dare you? I lost my husband too. No, no. Ruth clung to her. She clung to her, and she made a vow to her while Naomi was raging at Ruth. Ruth says that beautiful thing, where you go, I will go. Your people my, are my people. Your God is my God. Death isn't even going to separate us. I am with you. She was gracious to Naomi in her anger. And I would invite us as a church to be gracious to people who are angry in their loss or in any stage of grief because it's, it's toothache painful. It radiates through your whole body. Grief is something that changes the light in your eyes. It's hard to, to have hope at times because the grief hurts so bad. But then we begin to turn to this new stage, the stage of acceptance accepting that this is the new reality we face, that this loss we've gone through is unchangeable and we have to face reality. We have to look life in the face and move forward. And we have to accept what is, grieving what once was. And those are hard things to do. 
But Naomi accepts what's happening. This is what she said, what it says in Ruth chapter 19 to 22. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Is this Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me by my former name? The Lord has afflicted me. The the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. She accepted her fate, and she said, look, don't call me Naomi. I'm miserable. I'm empty. I've lost Elimelech. I've lost Milan, and I've lost Killian. I'm empty. I came back bitter, and God has afflicted me. She understands the heartache she's in. In chapter 1, we see her come to a point of total loss to acceptance of the situation. In chapter 2, there's this beautiful kind of emerging story that comes out. It's the part we like to gravitate to because the pain is too frightening. We're too afraid to look at what she lost and think, what if that was me? I don't know about you, I'm too afraid to look at that. That terrifies me to look at that story. But in chapter two, we see something happening. And it, and it deals in acceptance. Naomi accepts that Ruth loves her. She accepts that Ruth is with her, and then she accepts her new station in life, her new place in life, accepting Ruth's kindness, accepting that Ruth would, well, here's what Ruth does. Ruth gets up, because remember, the barley harvest was beginning. Ruth gets up, and she goes out to the fields to glean. What gleaners were is they'd walk behind the harvesters, and they would pick up the little heads of grain and the stalks of wheat that were on the ground dropped by the harvesting crews. They would pick them up. And it was part of what God instituted to care for the widows, the orphans, and the aliens, the people who lived as, you know, people not Moabites. We'll just say it that way, right? It's what God did. And Ruth goes out and lives into picking up grain from the people, like from from the fields. She ends up in the field of a guy named Boaz, who was related to Elimelech. And she finds herself in this field, and she's picking up grain. And then Boaz says, who's that woman out there? When he comes and he comes in, he's kind of like, I don't know, I just picture him about six foot four, you know, big robe, hard worker. You know, I kind of picture him, if I picture him, a little like Chris Calamine with those big old hands, you know, Chris the drummer. Um, Like, that's how I picture him, you know, just this big kind of big dude. And uh, he walks in, he's like, who's that woman out in the, the barley field out there gleaning? And they say, that's Ruth, the Moabite who came back with Naomi. And what he does is so kind of sweet and precious. He says, 
Let her, let her glean among the harvesters. Let her get in close and don't lay a hand on her. Let her drink from the water well, from the, from the um, water jugs that are drawn from the well, so don't make her draw her own water. And then when they're eating, he invites her over and feeds her, like lets her eat with them. And she's like, I don't understand why you're being so kind to me. But Boaz knows the kindness she has done. And Ruth accepts from Boaz the kindness of his protection. She is a woman without rights, without family backing, in a world where women were property. She could have easily been assaulted in this. So the widow, the orphan, and the alien is now experiencing and accepting help and love from an outside source. This is where you have to move after you've accepted the loss you've endured and that you've experienced. Accept love from others. Accept help from others. Naomi was humble and honest, and she let people care for her. She let people care for her, and I invite you, let people care for you. If you're experiencing loss and grief and heartache, let people care for you. Because in chapter three, we find Naomi accepting hope that this darkness she's lived in is not the end of the story, and she starts to see hope. She's accepted the situation of her loss. She's accepted help and love from Ruth, and now she's accepting that there may be hope in this yet, that God's not done with this, because she sees that there's something going on between Boaz and Ruth. There's an affection there, and she notices it first. Ruth doesn't, and Boaz doesn't, but she does, and she says to Ruth, get prettied up. Now, that's not the way it says it in the Bible, but she's like, put on your nicest clothes, your perfume, and go to the, the party at the barley harvest and lay down at his feet. And that will, that will, in translation to Boaz, that says to him, she is a woman who is available for marriage. That's what she's communicating. She's saying, go and basically propose. Let him know that you are willing and interested in marrying him. He's your kinsman redeemer. A big theological point here is that the family of God, the Israelite family, if your brother died, you would marry his wife and give her sons or daughters in his name. That was a way to redeem and protect the women in this family of God. And he, Boaz, was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. He was in the family line of Elimelech, and he would have been a kinsman redeemer. And we see this story begin to play out because Boaz is all touched that she would, um, that she would be willing. And he's like, why would you come after me? I'm older, you know, and, and I, I don't know why you'd want me. He was honored and he was blessed. And she had, Ruth had great affection for her, but it was Naomi accepting hope who spotted it first. She gets this glimmer of hope and sees God providing in a way for them that maybe she had never even dreamed of. She is the first to recognize that God may have an amazing plan that she hadn't seen yet by bringing Ruth to her kinsman, Redeemer. And finally, we find this hope that God has not given up on you. If you're in a season of loss and you find yourself just hurting and you're like, I, I don't know if I can accept this situation yet. I'm trying to accept love. But maybe you can accept some hope this morning. That God has not given up on you. And don't give up on him. Don't let the glimmer of hope in God's goodness and his faithfulness through all situations, don't let that light burn out in you. 
God has not given up. He has a plan. And I'll be honest, it's probably not what you would have chosen. But if you accept the situation, you can get to the point of accepting hope and building trust that God's plan for your circumstance isn't complete yet. He's still working in a way that will be transformative for you. And we see that transformation happen in the life of Naomi when she steps into a season of accepting joy. Of accepting joy. Finally, we see Naomi transformed into someone who's willing to accept a situation, help and love in her darkest times, and even have some hope. And now she's starting to experience joy once again. Joy of, of life and that it's not over, that God has yet to fully give her all the goodness of this life. He was going to provide for her. It's not how she would have expected it. It's definitely not what she would have wanted or planned, but God had a plan. He had cared for her in a way that she never saw coming. And I think we need to hear this church straight from the text. I think we need to hear it and read it and remember that God's plan and God's ways are higher than ours. And in our loss, he is ever-present. Check this out. Uh, The book of Ruth, chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate. Now this is just after Ruth had um, said, laid at his feet and said, you know, basically, I'd marry you. And he's like, what, this is great. But he had to do something because there was a relative who was closer in relation to Ruth than he was. So he goes to the town gate to to make a deal and say, do you want to marry her or shall I? And he sat down there as the guardian redeemer had mentioned that he had mentioned to Ruth comes along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Okay, so this other guardian redeemer would have known that. And when he looks at this, so so just picture it with me. He's got the scene kind of set, the guardian redeemer who's closer in relationship, and um and the elders are sitting there. He's setting up to make a contract in this. Boaz says, I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy the land, right? So he's gonna buy the land in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, So I will know, for no one has the right to it except you, and I am next in line. And I will redeem it, he says. So do you see what he's doing? Saying, I'll redeem it. And then the guy says, well, I'll redeem it. I'll buy it. The kinsman, the guardian redeemer says, I'll buy it. And Boaz says, okay. And on the day you buy that land from Naomi, you also get the wife of maybe Killian. I don't know which son. You get Naomi's daughter-in-law. You acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. (laughs) I love this. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I can't redeem it. Because what are you going to say? Like, you go home to your wife. By the way, I bought a piece of land and a Moabite. Like, it's just not going to go well. So he's like, no, I'm good. I can't can't redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. (laughs) I think that's awesome. He would have gotten beaten up. Um, 
So he says to Boaz, you redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property, it became, once it became final, the party took off his or her sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the method of legalizing a transaction in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among, the, from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. The elders, all seated at the gate, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, two of the matriarchs of the, of the Jewish faith, who together built up the family of Israel. The, Rachel and Leah gave birth to the 12 sons who would be the 12 tribes of Israel. May you have standing in Ephraim, um, in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be that like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Now catch this. This is so awesome. This is so um, the acceptance of joy, Right? The women of the community, those same women who came out and greeted Naomi when she came back, they said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, whom this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than 10 sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women there said, Naomi has a son. To which Ruth was like, super duper gave birth to him, but it's all right. You know, right? Naomi has a son. Like, look at the joy in that. It's this overwhelming thing. She came back empty, but God was refilling and putting joy in her life. And they named him Obed. This is so, so cool. His name was Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, and David is the root at which the covenant promise of Christ springs out of. There will always be a son of David sitting on the throne of Israel, and we know that Jesus Christ is in the line and genealogy of David. So Jesus is related to a Moabite woman, right? Jesus is related, his, great, his great-grandmother many times over is Naomi, who once thought her life forfeit. The genealogy of David is then this. The family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, uh, Abinadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. When we look at this and we recognize what God has done in his goodness and faithfulness, we realize that God has restored what was once lost. And we can celebrate. You and I have heard this phrase over and over again. And, and it, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, it makes me mad. But um, the phrase, a new normal, I've outlawed it. 
I, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, no, I do not accept a new normal, right? Maybe I haven't moved to acceptance with that. But um, there is something that comes after acceptance. There is something that comes after acceptance, and it starts with receiving help, with receiving love, allowing joy to bloom in your life, and once again, experiencing the hope and joy that comes from knowing that the God of the universe has not abandoned you, but has called you to himself for his purposes. In my own life, I want church hear this. In my own life, I felt the loss of my parents' marriage so deeply. I questioned my identity as a person, and, and I really, it wrecked me. It wrecked me to the point that um, I wouldn't go back to Colorado very much for a number of years. I, I held off on it, and um, I was just too sad about the things that had gone on, and it, it, the, the loss of that. I was too sad And then I was given advice by someone who loved me. When we were getting ready to go back for a trip um, for Thanksgiving one year, I was like, I don't want to go. Oh, all my memories, uh, there's nothing there to celebrate like it was. I I don't know how to celebrate Thanksgiving. It won't be the same. And they said this to me, quit trying to recreate old memories. Go and make new ones. This is what it is. Make new ones. And I will tell you this. We went back and had one of the greatest trips we've ever had. It was wonderful. Because I wasn't trying to recreate the past. I wasn't in denial of what was and trying to recreate it. I was there to create, well, the new normal. And it's very life-giving. And it's wonderful to go and be there and to have them come stay here. I love it. It's not what it was. But in the end, what is? Everything changes and we lose. We had the most wonderful visit. I focused on building relationships, not wondering what happened and trying to fix things. I accepted, but I began to hope, and I really, truly will say this. I had a lot of joy from that trip. It restored a lot of things in my soul. I was able to experience joy in a place where deep heartache had taken root. So I invite you, I invite you, if you're in any of these stages of grief, to be faithful, to move through them and find yourself at accepting the situation, accepting help and love, and accepting that there is hope because of who your God is, and accepting that one day joy will come. Even though it doesn't seem possible, the God of the universe has your name on his heart. He loves you. And his plans and purposes for you are no different than they were for Naomi to bring into the world the very salvation which he intended. And we get to be bearers of the gift of Christ into this world. There's a joy in us that we know our purposes are not forfeit because we experience loss. Friends, may the grace and love and mercy of God be yours. If you're processing loss or when you face loss, may it be close to you and may you know he has not left you desolate and he has not left you alone in these seasons of loss. Pray with me. God, would you guard the heart and the mind and the spirit of those who are experiencing loss and use the story of Naomi to draw us close to you and transform us 
transform us through the process and the stages of grief to a moment of acceptance where we again feel joy, where we again know the, the, the light of hope. God, help us. Help us to trust you amid the grief and the loss that this world offers. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ruth teaches us one really clear thing, that out of the ashes and shattered reality of Naomi's loss, God would bring about the very means of salvation for all mankind. And it tells me this, that if you're sitting there and you feel ashamed and you feel guilty for the losses you're enduring, so did Naomi. And God used her in the line of Christ to raise up the only hope we would ever have. So don't lose hope that God can use you even if you feel ashamed. If you feel shattered and wrecked, empty and broken, and you, when people say your name, you think, don't call my name. My name is bitterness and horrible. I hate this life. Naomi said the same thing. If you feel your loss in ways so keenly, the instability and the heartache, the lack of, um, the lack of hope in a future, I invite you, I invite you to just step back and accept the love of God for you in Christ Jesus because you are not alone in this. The book of Ruth tells us that out of the soot and ashes of our loss and our shame comes the very glory of God in Christ. He will change and give us beauty for ashes. It doesn't mean there isn't ashes. It means that he's a God who's in the business of redeeming the unredeemable. So wherever you're at in this, don't go it alone. If you need care and some love and someone to talk to, email us, care at foundrychurch.net. We would love to walk with you on your journey and try to love you, even as Ruth did Naomi. Please know, friends, as a church family, we will all go through loss. Our question comes back, do we trust the God who has purposes bigger than the loss we feel. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. May the hope and the peace and the joy of Christ be yours, even as you walk the roads of loss in this life. Bless you.